Hello and welcome to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and today we continue the Fantasy Files series with a look at the Washington football team's passing game, specifically Terry McLaurin, Curtis Samuel, Logan Thomas, maybe a little Diami Brown. I don't know. We're getting crazy, people. We'll see. We'll see what happens. But basically, I do think we're on the verge of seeing this Washington passing game actually taking a big leap forward compared to what we've seen in past years. And there's been some good receivers. I mean, Pierre Garçon, Deshaun Jackson with those Kirk Cousins, Shanahan, RG3 uh, teams, Avernius Coles, uh, especially Santana Moss. I mean, my goodness, a few people remember that. I think it was Monday night football, maybe Sunday night. The Cowboys were uh, inducting, I think, each of Troy Aikman, Michael Irvin, and Emmett Smith into their ring of honor. Had a comfortable, I think it was like a 14 to 3 lead in the fourth quarter. And Santana Moss just catches two, not one, but two bomb touchdowns to steal the game. But he was a lot of fun to watch uh, back in the day. And I think that's kind of a more overlooked name uh, from the past couple of decades. So I want to give Santana a shout out. But truly, people, McLaurin. I don't want to say he's on pace to have a better career than Santana Moss. That guy was around a long time. He's been fantastic though. Just taking those other guys out of it. Terry McLaurin, in terms of Terry McLaurin has been freaking awesome. 58 catches, 919 yards, seven touchdowns as a rookie last year, 87 catches, 1118 yards, four touchdowns. And he has been doing it with the type of quarterbacks that make him the favorite to be his generations. Allen Robinson, who is his generations, Andre Johnson. And I know Larry Fitzgerald has a case to be made for this, you know, quote unquote honor as well of just having the most dog shit quarterbacks possible back there. But he did get to play with Carson Paul at some point to this point we have not seen McLaurin play with really a single replacement level quarterback even I mean okay some of these guys were better in our situations but the Case Keenum Washington era was awful we had Colt McCoy there for a game Dwayne Haskins as much as I think you know he doesn't deserve to be tarnished the way some people kind of throw his name around. He has objectively been a terrible NFL quarterback, which is what we're talking about right now. So he hasn't helped Kyle Allen certainly didn't help Taylor Heineke. Great. Good on him. Having that playoff game against the Buccaneers. We can never take that away from him. He has still objectively been a bad quarterback on the entirety of his career. And then we had the 2020 version of Alex Smith, who was typically more concerned with just getting the ball out of his hands as fast as possible to JD McKissick. And occasionally Terry McLaurin. So somehow through that all and playing with not one, but two high ankle sprains last year, two high ankle sprains. This dude's a freaking warrior. But anyway, through all that McLaurin has still managed to be anyone's idea of an above average receiver among 77 wide receivers with at least hundred targets over the past two years. McLaurin ranks 17th in PFF receiving grade tied for 27th in yards per reception tied for 20th in yards after the catch per reception, 23rd in yards per outrun 29th in QB rating when targeted again not the craziest numbers i don't think anyone's saying Terry mclaurin needs to be a top 10 uh real life receiver needs to be considered in that conversation just saying like despite these quarterbacks he's been making the most of it uh, i was surprised to see with that yards per out run total he's number 23 at 1.95 right behind him at number 24 alan robinson at 1.94 so it really does uh, all come back around sometimes so just realize and you can check out my Twitter at iHeartits. I like to post some highlight cutoff films from these guys. I mean, I have one with Terry McLaurin go up today and just the things he was able to do last year. I mean, proved unguardable uh, for pa against Patrick Peterson in week two. He saved Alex Smith. I mean, it was one of the most hilarious storylines for me was this Giants game where Alex Smith threw for over 300 yards and people were just really trying to, you know, it's... <sighs> 
it was such a great comeback story, but the leaps people were going to, through to try to make out Alex to be this great quarterback last year were getting ridiculous. I remember a certain uh, high-profile NFL network reporter like pointing out how many points the Washington football team had scored with Alex under center, and like it just didn't even mention like the five defensive touchdowns they had scored during that time. Like we can just all be happy that Alex Smith came back from one of the worst injuries we've ever seen without saying the guy was a great quarterback, and that was all my way of saying that McLaurin caught this borderline hospital ball against the giants in between like three guys somehow broke every tackle found his way to the end zone so he just got this really nice mix of route running ability and underrated yak potential and that's really that latter point was more what they focused on last year again he didn't have a quarterback that could throw the ball more than 20 yards downfield half the time one that really never wanted to do that uh, which proved to be the bigger problem so you just see on film McLaurin the slot finding the soft space. And then once he gets the ball, the dude's just slippery as hell coming in and out of his cuts. So we had some examples, you know, Ravens, Seahawks, several games where he had, he went downfield with success. He mossed a William Jackson against the Bengals is another example. So it's not that he can't go downfield. It's kind of like his former, uh, I think they were at Ohio state briefly same time. It's like when Michael Thomas, you know, it's kind of the critiques on him from sometimes it's not that Michael Thomas can't beat defenders downfield. It's not, like Terry McLaurin can't beat defenders downfield. They just typically haven't been asked, asked to more due to their quarterback's limitations than their own. So that's Terry. You know, he's again, just fantastic. Been anyone's idea of a top, you know, 20, I think he'd be pretty, maybe 20, 25. You'd be hard pressed to find, I think 20 wide receivers that you want on your team ahead of Terry right now turns 26 in September. So, Hey, maybe he's, you know, been benefiting from being a little bit older prospect coming out either way. People, he has an argument for the single best wide receiver in the NFC East. I would give that honor to Amari Cooper, but I do think McLaurin again, at least has an argument to be there. We got Kenny Galladay in there now. Okay. NFC East, maybe we're finally starting to get, you know, something resembling respectable football out of you guys. One can hope the good news for McLaurin is that he no longer is going to be the guy where defenses just focus all their attention on him uh, in the secondary, because my guy, former fellow, former Ohio state Buckeye, just filling up all the OSUers uh, today. Curtis Samuel is there. And I want to clear up one thing, people, Curtis Samuel was not miscast as a field stretcher in 2019. Kyle Allen was miscast as a professional quarterback. And, you know, don't take my word for it. Go on my freaking Twitter and look at the video of it's minute and 20 long Curtis Samuel running wide open, deep Kyle Allen, missing him again and again and again so i really do believe curtis can do everything you want a wide receiver to be able to do he guy should have had over 1200 yards in 2019 and we wouldn't i wouldn't even be having to debate you people on this and i think the best you know kind of metric to help show that it was not his fault was in 2020 nobody had a higher passer rating when targeted 20 yards downfield than curtis samuel so look He's been fine at going downfield when he's had anything resembling a competent quarterback, which I do believe Ryan Fitzpatrick is more on that in a second. The second part that curse uh, really brings to the table is just yak goodness. And I'm not quite sure how they're going to necessarily use him last year. He was the primary slot receiver for the Panthers, a lot more low average target depth stuff. And I wouldn't be too shocked that that happens again, if they want to go with, you know, McLaurin on one side, Diami Brown on the other Curtis in the slot. It does seem like more words than not out of OTA are that Curtis is going to be more of an outside threat, but it'd just be silly not to use this part of his game a little bit more. I mean, it's urban Myers millennial version of Percy Harvin. We're talking about here. Curtis has four, three, one jets. I 
mean, hell, like the one thing in his first two years in the league, 2017, 2018, he was dealing with injuries, but we still saw, you know, the reverses, the Panthers got him. And just anytime they got the ball in this guy's hands, good things were happening. And then finally, Curtis Samuel can legitimately line up at running back and make good things happen. Career average of 6.6 yards per carry. Last year after Christian McCaffrey went down, Curtis was basically the number two running back behind Mike Davis. You know, it's not a gimmick with him back there. He played this at Ohio State. One of the worst games I have ever had the privilege of watching. I mean, it was a good game for Clemson, just not for my Buckeyes, was when Clemson shut out Ohio State in 2016. And Curtis Samuel had like the only good offensive play for Ohio State that game, which was this absurd like 65-yard run right up the gut after making several guys miss. So he came into Ohio State originally as Zeke's pure backup running back. And they started to expand him to play more wide receiver. And eventually in his final year, he was fully unleashed as the primary offensive weapon on offense. So he has that in his range of abilities. It's just one of these issues where, when we have a, a player that's so multi-talented like, and all these different facets of the game, you don't want a coach to kind of pigeonhole them in as just one doing one thing or maybe, you know, doing the Tariq Cohen Chicago route and just making them so gadgety defenses know what's coming. I'm confident that's not going to be the case here with Curtis Samuel because he's reunited with former Panthers offensive coordinator Scott Turner. It was Norv calling most of the plays, but I would note in 2019 when Norv, I think it was the final four games of the year that he uh, ended up, you know, uh, retiring or being dismissed, whatever it was, Scott came in and we actually saw him start to use Curtis more in the backfield than we had seen previously the entire season. So fingers crossed that all of those design targets for JD McKissick, lest we forget led all RBs and targets last season. Hopefully a lot more of those end up going to Curtis Samuel, Antonio Gibson, whoever else in 2021 I mentioned this before, but I realized Fitzpatrick has been Boomer bust QB his entire career. With that said, really ever since 2019, he has been nothing short of fantastic. I mean, I would even say 2018. I mean, that blistering pace he put on while Jameis was suspended for the first couple games of the year was wild. Came on in 2019, you know, taking over for Josh Rosen, then taking over for Tua. Two quarterbacks that he outplayed, or excuse me, he got taken over for, out, for Tua, but those stats weren't close. We saw the Raiders game all the times. So Fitzpatrick had to come bail out Tua. I'm not hating on Tua, but Fitzpatrick was objectively the better quarterback last year. He just had to unfortunately be in these situations where it made sense for the team to turn the job over to, or at least find out what their, you know, either rookie or former uh, first round pick that being Rosen or Jameis Winston. Like they had every reason in the world to let these other quarterbacks be that guy. And now we don't have that situation in Washington. And the fact that they didn't draft a single quarterback tells you all you need to know about who is going to be their starter. Again, Heineke, great game against the Bucks, but Kyle Allen, Steven Montez, who's like a, you know, homeless man's version of Taysom Hill. It's just one of these things where, you know, if they had a real competition, if they wanted to instill real competition, there would be someone else here uh, other than just, you know, Heineke and Kyle Allen to take on Ryan Fitzpatrick. And, you know, otherwise I'm just not too intrigued by the pass catchers in this offense. We've talked about Antonio Gibson, the great potential he has to become, you know, DCMC. But I think in terms of the wide receiver three, there's just too much up in the air. Gun to my head, I would kind of imagine it's Adam Humphreys in the slot. He's been solid at that throughout his career, even had a 
bidding war between the Titans and Patriots before he uh, ended up going to Tennessee. Obviously that tenure didn't work out great for him. A lot of injuries did contribute to that and clearly they were more concerned with getting AJ Brown, Corey Davis, the ball as they should, but I would anticipate Humphreys being in the slump, but it's far from a given. We also have Kelvin Harmon, Antonio Gandy, Golden, Steven Sims, Cam Sims. Cam Sims was legit really good after the catch last year. For those of you that suffered through every single NFC East game, uh, like I did. And Steven Sims was someone that I think is flashing his opportunities. Unfortunately, was hurt uh, as well for most of last year. And the big name that's coming in is Diami Brown. And he could, I think, be a wild card. He kind of reminds me of Josh Palmer, not in the way they play necessarily, but there is both third round rookie wide receivers in passing games we think are going to be good that have a chance to be the number three guy, even though there's some incumbent guys that we have to worry about. So, you know, as a mid round dynasty pick, I think Diami makes a lot of sense. And one of my favorite stats with him and that I kind of pulled from this wide receiver class, I made this metric called playmaker rate. Basically I award uh, three points for a run of 15 yards or catch of 20 yards, six points for a touchdown and one point for broken tackle. So divide all that by touches and you get the guys that are making the most big plays, scoring touchdowns, making guys miss and the top draft eligible wide receiver leaders from 2020. Number one, Jalen Darden, who's tearing up Buccaneers OTAs reportedly. Number two, Devontae Smith, AKA the guy I've been screaming at all of you to draft in every single fantasy uh, draft here in the summer and number three, Diami Brown. So hopefully Brown gets out there sooner rather than later. Unfortunately, I just don't really see whoever the number three receiver in this offense winds up being having this consistent fantasy friendly role because unfortunately Gibson's going to be getting targets. McKissick's going to be getting targets. And so will Logan Thomas. So Logan's the real interesting one of the equation. He tied last year as the tight end three and was just absolutely actually making, you know, big baller plays throughout a lot of the uh, final games of the year. So maybe you guys have heard Logan Thomas, former, uh, former college quarterback, but this guy came in and it's the whole, you know, Tebow versus Logan Thomas thing. Like Logan Thomas was the nation's highest rate ranked, like recruit as a tight end and leaving high school. He wasn't someone that's, you know, pretending to learn the position on a freaking whim because he's having, you know, a quarter life crisis. So I think with Logan Thomas, you know, he um, is someone that isn't getting a ton of love. uh, I think because people don't see him getting 110 targets again in 2020. But we can take 20 fewer targets and take the increase in efficiency that should go hand in hand with Fitzpatrick. I think Logan Thomas will again finish as a tight end one, but that's going to take us to our PFF Lily stat. And it is about Brian Fitzpatrick's number one receivers because we have seen, you know, Devontae Parker, Jets version, Brandon Marshall, Stevie Johnson on those Bills teams back in the day. Ryan Fitzpatrick knows a thing or two about enabling a high end wide receiver one. So his target totals and his eight seasons with double digit. It starts from the number one wide receiver, 128, 128. 137, 134, 141, 146, 148, and 173 to old man Brandon Marshall. And I understand that, you know, this Washington team, they might have best defense in the league. Can we say that? I think they're in discussion at the very least, their defensive line might be the single best, like overall positional unit uh, in, in among any defense in the league. So, you know, with Montez sweat, Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, chase young, all those freaking first round picks just starting to reach the height of their powers, scary unit. So I don't think we're going to see Fitz be quite as pass happy as he had to be in some of those situations. Just realize this is a guy that we have consistently seen get the ball to his studs. And that takes me to the 
ranks. And they are Terry McLaurin as my wide receiver 11. He has the ADP as a wide receiver 11 underdog right now. I'm in line with the masses with it. I would take him ahead of the Cowboys wide receivers ahead of, uh, let's see, Deontay Johnson, ahead of Allen Robinson, ahead of the Buccaneers guys. Look, he was the wide receiver 19 last season on a team that had, again, these terrible quarterbacks and just had really no, nothing to give him playing with two uh, high ankle sprains. So I think McLaurin, if anybody's going to make that leap up in the wide receiver one territory in this offense, it's going to be him. I think he has a skill set and the target share, most, impo- most importantly, to pull that off. I have Curtis Samuel as my wide receiver 36. His ADP sets him as the wide receiver 41 right now. He finished last year as a wide receiver too. He was a wide receiver 23 when it was all said and done. Doesn't turn 25 until August. Absolutely wild. And look, you know, I do like Diami Brown, but I just don't really think other than, you know, last round dart throw more or less. He's someone to get too excited about. Logan Thomas is my tight end 11. Again, mentioned how he finished tight end three with Bob Tanyan last year uh, behind only Kelsey and Waller. He's getting an every down role. I still think he'll be a tight end one. Just wouldn't be too shocked if, yeah, we do see, uh, you know, the overall targets go down with a healthier Terry, Curtis Samuel involved, and also Diami Brown. Thank you, as always, for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, everyone. Just so you know, though, my lovely company, PFF, does far more than just fantasy football. We just released our PFF College Football Preview Magazine, and for just $7.99, you can access that. 600-plus pages of analysis, best returning players for all 130 teams, advanced scheme breakdown, strength and schedule, one projections, and more. Again, that's available with any PFF College or PFF Edge subscription. Get it now for less than $8. Cool nuggets. You know, Chris Alave, my guy from Ohio State, being the number one uh, receiver separate Separating Garrett Wilson, some goodness coming up as well. I think we'll be talking about a lot more Ohio State receivers in the NFL for many years to come. And hey, maybe you think let's keep banking on these successful Ohio State Buckeyes. If you do, you can go play best ball over at Underdog Fantasy. Uh, play like playing from fantasy for money. You need to check out Underdog Fantasy. Go to Underdog and deposit ten dollars using promo code PFF and get a free PFF Edge annual subscription. That's promo code PFF. Draft now at Underdog Fantasy. Final note before we get out of here, I think I found a life hack to getting over stubbing your toe. One of the most painful things that all of us humans go through, but if you have dogs, this is important. You need to have dogs. If you stub your toe and you're jumping around and dogs are in there, instead of screaming, just say, I'm hurt dog. Don't ask me if I'm all right. You know, hell not pull the Ed Reed out on your dogs and you'll start laughing about it. And then you forget about your toe being hurt. So just a little note there trying to help you all out when you happen to stub your toe. So as always, thanks for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. New episodes out every single day throughout the summer. Going to be having some more 10 questions with fantasy analysts going on here soon. Want to get some good larger breakdown episodes on to help complement the steady stream of fantasy files. And always got my guy, Andrew Erickson, on Wednesdays as well. Check out all my work on PFF.com. Bunch of memes and random goodness on Twitter at iHeartIt's as well. Again, people, thank you for tuning in. Until next time, take care, everybody. 